Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations, a podcast aiming to revive the Christian practice of meditation where we fill our minds with the Word of God rather than emptying them. I'm Lee, and I'm so happy to be back with you again. This is my first uh, real recording after getting back from the G3 conference, which was a wonderful time. It was fun to meet so many people, and there were so many more people there I could have met, but there just (laughs) simply wasn't time. Uh, But it was a really great uh, time. I really enjoyed uh, the sessions, enjoyed the, um, the fellowship, and I really enjoyed the bookstore. I think that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> uh, my uh, my bags are pretty heavy on the way on the way back home. Not going to lie. Well, since this is a show dedicated to meditating on scripture, I thought the best thing I could do was to pick a book to study through and really uh, take some time. Uh, and I decided that uh, Hebrews should be that book. Um, Hebrews is, uh, I always, okay, I get mad at myself when I say stuff like this, but Hebrews is a really important book, and that's not to mean that other books in the Bible aren't important, but when it comes to especially the uh, Christological questions, uh, connections between the law and the gospel, um, Hebrews tackles some of these issues, especially on the law and gospel issues, tackles them in a helpful way that's different from, say, the way that Galatians tackles it. Um, And we need as much help as we can to understand these things. And so God in his mercy has given us multiple explanations of truth in the Bible. You know, that's why we we use cross-references to um, strengthen uh, expositions. Uh, That's why we take texts from across the Bible, the entire Bible, when we're talking about matters of doctrine. Uh, the truth is in there, and it's in there in, in a lot of different places, and the Scripture interprets itself. We just have to be careful in our study. And actually, that's a topic that we're going to see in the passage uh, today in Hebrews 1, uh, and it mostly has to do with uh, the person of Christ and his work, now, the, the big question that's on people's minds when we talk about Hebrews is, who in the world wrote it? And the short answer is, we don't know who wrote it. Um, and I, I hear the, the King James crowd saying, well, we know, we know it's uh, written by Paul, uh, because it says that in the, uh, in the King James uh, header for the book of Hebrews, it says, the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, which is, uh, it's in a lot of King James Bibles. I don't know if the newest ones that are printed have that or not. I don't, I don't have a King James in front of me right now. So uh, maybe somebody check on that for me and let me know. But regardless, uh, I, do, I don't think that's far off, but the book of Hebrews isn't an epistle in the same way that Romans is an epistle or Ephesians, or any of the other epistles in the New Testament. Uh, When when you read Hebrews, it reads so much like a sermon. I would have a hard time calling it an epistle. I think it's actually a transcription of a sermon. Now, my opinion, and obviously you should take this with a grain of salt because we have no way to prove this one way or another, but my opinion is that it is a sermon 
that was preached by Paul and was transcribed by either Luke or John Mark. Uh, it could have been either or. I like the idea that it might have been Luke, um, but again, I really have no I have no true factual basis for that. However, um, I do think it's it's coming from Paul because the scholarship not only of the Old Testament but also the level of thinking that would allow him to connect the New Testament realities of Christ with Old Testament scripture leads me to believe that this is not only a highly intelligent individual and someone who has excellent critical thinking skills, but also has been well-trained in the scripture and in logic uh, and given the tool set that it would take to deliver, not, not only to deliver, but to prepare and deliver a sermon of this caliber at the time. To me, that screams Paul. Um, over and against the other apostles. Uh, I don't think this would be Peter. Uh, I don't think um, that this would be John either. I think there's um, a level of of training behind this uh, used powerfully by the Holy Spirit to give us this sermon. And as we know, Paul was a student of one of the best teachers in Judaism, under Gamaliel and received top-notch training, right? Remember, he said that he was, you know, Pharisee of Pharisees, according to the law, blameless. Uh, he was a hard studier. Uh, I just think that um, he's the he's the best apostolic candidate to be the author of these words, or to at least be the speaker of these words. Again, I think the scribal qualities of Luke make him a good candidate to be the one who transcribed this sermon and, and got it down uh, on parchment uh, effectively and correctly uh, by the help of the Holy Spirit. So that's just my theory. Uh, I'm, I, I'm sure everybody has one, but that's just where I'm coming from. I've heard some other people say the same thing, so uh, I, feel, I feel okay telling you about that. <laughs> Don't judge me too hard if you disagree. Um, so anyway, so the book of Hebrews is a sermon preached by a very effective preacher uh, who really knew Christ, who really knew his theology, who knew the Old Testament, and brought all that to bear for the benefit of not only the initial hearers of the sermon, but even to us so far in the future uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit, the grace of Christ, and the sovereignty of God. So let's study uh, a little bit of chapter 1. I'm going to read the first... Eight verses, no, nine verses, because I don't want to. I don't want to get too deep and make this too long. Uh, I'm using the uh, non-Arminian Standard Bible. God, when He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. So in this first section, he's putting it all right out there. This is a sermon about Jesus Christ. This is the sermon about the Son of God, the God-man, one like a son of man, uh, to, to call back to our uh, Theophany episode from Daniel. He's just going to get right to the point that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, so he's talking about the words of the Old Testament here, there were, there's many, there's many different types of genres in the Old Testament. You know, we have the straightforward histories of, or, or uh, his, historical um, narratives, you know, Genesis is mainly a narrative, a lot of Exodus is a narrative, uh, but we also have laws, which are obviously a slightly different genre than a narrative, right? It's just, it's telling, it's listing out the laws that God is laying down, so a good chunk of Exodus is law, uh, obviously Leviticus uh, and Deuteronomy have law in them. Uh, there are genealogies that are very important. Uh, again, so many narratives, especially his, history, uh, historical retellings of the kings of Israel and of the prophets, the judges. Um, but then there's poetry. You know, the entire book of Psalms is poetry. You could even um, put the book of Proverbs uh, and also Ecclesiastes in sort of a cousin to poetry that we might just call wisdom literature because it when you read it in your Bible, it's set off in, in poetic lines. Uh, each of these genres are ways that God spoke to his people. Uh, even the prophets, even though their words aren't necessarily poetic in the way that uh, the book of Psalms is, right? Psalms was meant to be sung. Uh, in the Hebrew, the Psalms actually rhyme, and they have, you know, interesting uh, musical rhythm to the words. Uh, in the prophets, it's different than that, but it's a, an oracle. Uh, you might see that word uh, as you're reading the prophets, that uh, these are oracles of God. So, not only are there many ways that God has done this, there's many genres uh, of the revelation of the Old Testament. Um, in, in many portions, some books are longer than others. Some books are quite short. Some books are quite long. Uh, it's You can even see that within uh, the book of Psalms itself. You know, you have Psalm 119, which is uh, really, really long, multiple, multiple pages long. Uh, and it's a, a great work of poetic art that God inspired. And then there are psalms that are a mere few lines long, and the psalm is over. Uh, 
so there's there's an idea of portions there as well um but all of these are prophets and you know we have an idea of prophets as people who are telling the future or um, proclaiming doom to the people of israel you know so many of the actual prophets whether major or minor have to do with god's judgment on israel or God's judgment on the enemies of Israel, or things like that. But in a certain sense, all of these books are written, are delivered by prophets, because these are people who, as described in the New Testament, were carried along by the Holy Spirit to say what God had given them to say. They were inspired. Their words were inspired by God, breathed out by God. Uh, and so you can, even in even if they're not writing a book that we call the prophecy of Isaiah or the prophecy of Jeremiah or Ezekiel, it's still working of prophecy. It's forthtelling the truth of God, and it's it's under the direct inspiration of his Holy Spirit. But he's the preacher here is giving us a, a difference between the two. Um, so long ago, God spoke through these, right? The Old Testament is quite old, even at this time. It's certainly old for us now, but in these last days, so in more recent history here, he has spoken to us in his son. So God himself has come on the scene to deliver revelation of himself. And, you know, Jesus was careful in his ministry to say that he's not testifying about himself. He he has been testified to. So not only is the Old Testament uh, giving... Uh, prophecy, it's not only forthtelling that uh, God will dwell among his people, that there will be a Messiah to come, uh, the suffering servant that Isaiah talks about. Not only does Jesus utilize these Old Testament prophecies of his arrival, but he adds to them, right? Revelation wasn't finished uh, at the end of Malachi. There was still revelation to be given, namely the New Testament. So Jesus comes speaking, right? We have his words. He didn't have to write the book with his own hand. The Holy Spirit was writing of him through uh, the four gospel writers, through the apostles, um, and and we receive the New Testament as sort of the the crowning uh, the crowning achievement of God's work in Revelation. And the canon was closed, right? So so now in these last days. He's spoken to us in his son. And what has his son done? Well, his son has been appointed the heir of all things, right? So he is inheriting a kingdom. Uh, that's, that's a way that we talk about the church, right? He came to not only save a people, but he is to, that, that was his inheritance according to the covenant of redemption. So he's the heir of all things through whom also he made the world. So Jesus, and, and, and let's remember here, we're talking about the Son of God. And we could make a list of various cultists, uh, not only in our time, but even through history, of people who denied the divinity of Christ. You know, they would say that he was a great teacher. Some even say, even to this day, that Jesus was an angel uh, who came and spoke the words of God and then went away at the proper time. Well, the preacher here is is having none of that. He's going to tell us in these next few verses 
how incredibly unique and powerful Jesus is because he's unique. He is not like any created being because he's not created. He doesn't do the works of created beings. He is more effective than they are. His work actually lasts into eternity, where even the works of angels do not. He's much higher and far above them, and he's going to give us a few descriptors here to show just how elevated and unique Christ is. So through whom he made the world, he's the creator. He is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature. That's why when we confess the creeds, we talk about how Christ is very God of very God, or uh, to quote the 1689 Confession, chapter 2 of God and the Holy Trinity, paragraph 3, in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or Son, and Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. So Christ is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and they can each be God, each person is God without being part of God, without the essence of God being divided between the persons. So so Jesus Christ is not one-third God. God the Father isn't one-third God, and the Holy Spirit is not one-third God, and it's like some sort of Captain Planet scenario where they they bring their, their rings together, and when they unite, they are Yahweh. <laughs> no, they each possess the fullness of Yahweh in each person, and they cannot be divided. So Jesus here is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact representation of God's nature, if we're talking about God the Father. He is the nature of God. He has it. He has the fullness of it. So Christ in the flesh is very God of very God. In fact, he, he, is, he was raised in the flesh. So even in his resurrection body, right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed, he is the fullness of God. No angel could ever say that. Uh, they don't have the fullness of anything but of angelness. Uh, and that is good. That's how they were created. But they are infinite orders of magnitude less than God himself. Uh, so there's no way you can conflate Christ and an angel. Um, and if that wasn't enough, uh, the preacher goes on. The radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. So not only... Through him is everything created, but he also upholds it. He sustains it. Uh, he keeps it turning. He keeps the world turning by the word of his power. And again, if that wasn't enough, we're going to get one more description, and this is one that's much more personal and, and closer to us. Um, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So not only did he create everything, through him everything was created. He's appointed the heir of all things, 
he upholds all things by the word of his power. He's not sweating it. He, you know, he's not putting exertion into it. He's, he's got it all in hand. And not only that, on the macro level, Jesus came down to our micro level, on the ground among sinful people and made purification of sins. So this God, this all-powerful Yahweh, not only makes a world, not only upholds that world, but he even spends his own blood, having come in the flesh, to purify the sins of humans that live in this world. It's incredible. And again, it's not the sort of thing that you can ascribe to an angel. What angel would leave his habitation and become a man? That would be a downgrade for an angel. But God did. You know, Jesus Christ did. He did come in the flesh. Uh, This is a fact that we celebrate and consider and ponder over uh, because it's it's profoundly mysterious and it's humbling as well that our 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 sins are so heinous you know we deserve to uh, to languish in hell for all eternity and yet the very God who created the world and sustains the world came into the world in the flesh like us to live a perfect life to die the death that we deserved and to go to the cross that is part of the just punishment for every sinner and then some and actually purifies us from those sins. He takes them on himself, satisfies the wrath of God on behalf of sinners and gives us his righteousness instead when we believe in him, repent of our sins and look to him for our joy. It's such a radical idea and it's truly... Um, a, a blasphemous thing to try to say that the work of Christ in all of this is just the work of an angel doing his job and then going back to where he came from. No, ab- absolutely not. This is a, a truly unique, uh, miraculous, gracious, and holy thing. After all, uh, going back to Christ's uniqueness, after all this is done, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sits at the right hand of his father. Uh, No angel could ever do that. Angels are to be before the throne, singing, uh, covering their their faces and their feet. You know, they're they're in a, a humble posture. They're not sitting on a throne. Christ sits on a throne. You know, he is the heir of all things. And to prove that point, the preacher moves now uh, into some some cross-references and uses the Old Testament to prove this point, this radical point that uh, the Jews found completely unbelievable in the time before the crucifixion. So Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, having become much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. He's in a completely different category. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, That's from Psalm 2. The answer is he never has. He never has called an angel his son. He's never said that he has begotten an angel. 
Angels are created, not begotten. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me, which is from 2 Samuel 7. That's not something you say to an angel. That's really not something that you say truly of a man. Uh, But it is from this text that uh, the kings of Israel would call themselves sons of God, uh, because this is a kingly promise. Now, they had, they had kind of missed the point that this was a, uh, a prophecy of the Messiah to come, but, but regardless, uh, that doesn't erase the truth that God is speaking of his Son with whom he shares the fullness of deity. Uh, to verse 6, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And that's from Psalm 97, I believe. Now, what what angel worships another angel? You know, that's not the created order. Angels are to worship God, right? We've seen that in multiple biblical passages, that angels are before God's throne singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty before him. Uh, Angels that that would worship another angel would essentially be Satan's fallen angels that that follow him and obey his commands. So that's obviously not what's in play here. We're talking about one who is God. Angels worship God. Uh, In another passage, uh, in of angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. No angel has ever been given a kingdom. Angels are ministers. Uh, They are mere winds. Uh, They're flames of fire. Again, they're they're created things. They're not... uh, They are fire. They don't produce fire, if if we want to talk about it that way. Um, If you remember from the Daniel episode from God's throne precedes fire. You know, it's the source of that fire. So the fire itself is not the great part. The greatest is from whom the fire comes. And in that case, it's the fire of judgment, but um, but the principle is still there. But instead, the son has a throne and a scepter. He's a king, right? He, the, the righteous scepter that he has is the scepter of his kingdom. He has righteousness. And again, so if we're not talking about an angel. We're also not talking about a mere man. No man has the right to hold the righteous scepter, even though there are many kings in the world, and kings hold scepters and sit on thrones. But again, just like how the angels are uh, many levels of magnitude lower than God, so much so is the, the universally sinful human man or, or human woman. Even if they were to sit on a created throne of a kingdom of men, it's not this throne that they would sit on forever and ever because humans have to die. Um, and it, if they hold a scepter, it's not a righteous scepter. Only Christ holds a righteous scepter. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, which is the opposite of people. We love lawlessness and we hate righteousness. That's our nature. Therefore, okay, so so he's done everything right, right? He, This son has the throne, he has the righteous scepter, 
Uh, he sits there forever and ever. He will not die. He has loved righteousness and he's hated lawlessness, right? Christ did all of this. Uh, we have that corroborated in all four of the Gospels. Therefore, having, all, having done all of this, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Compare Christ to all of humanity, right? He's, he's in a completely different category. There are people, and then there is Christ. He came in the flesh, and he is the superlative man. Uh, he is the man that men should have been. Uh, the way that he acted in the world is the way that men and women should have been with God. Uh, loving his righteousness, hating sin, uh, living according to God's ways, adoring God, being in relationship with God, and having no sin standing between ourselves and God. But we did not. Uh, we have sinned. Uh, we have been sinning ever since Adam sinned, right? We've inherited his sin. Uh, when we're born, we are under the federal headship of Adam as the prime sinner, <laughs> and we sin just like him in so many ways. Christ is different. He is... Uh, as this says here, uh, he is above his companions, right? He was among all sorts of people during his his life on earth. Uh, he grew up, and, and for 30 years, 33 years, was surrounded by people of all sorts of, of uh, philosophies and uh, ideas and sins uh, and temptations, but he was above them all because he is the God-man. And so he has he has the uh, he has been anointed with the oil of gladness according to Isaiah sixty one where this phrase oil of gladness comes from the oil of gladness in that text is contrasted with sorrow which I would say is the uh, common denominator of sinful human life uh, going from sorrow to sorrow with very uh, short uh, blips of of sinful happiness in between. Jesus has risen above all of that. He is above all that because he's the God-man. and He lived righteously and uh, has ransomed a people for himself from their sin uh, by the imputation of his righteousness and the forgiveness of their sins. Now he sits as their advocate at the right hand of the majesty on high, as the preacher told us here. And that is how we live the life that we live today. Nothing different than the people that were in this room at the time that this sermon was preached. That same power that was at work in them is the same power at work in we who believe now because it's the same God. The same God who reigns now is the same God who reigned uh, from the beginning of creation and before, uh, the eternal God. And he hasn't changed his ways and he will not change his ways that he will be faithful to carry out the blessings toward his people that he's promised, that all of the care that he shows toward us, uh, he has already shown toward those that we have seen recorded in the pages of Scripture. Uh, all of those truths are the same for us because the people of God have always received his promises, have always received his care, always received his direction, and he has received glory from them and will continue to receive glory from them until the return of Christ. So I hope that this 
brief look into the person and work of Christ at the beginning of Hebrews has been helpful and encouraging. Uh, if you haven't believed and you're hearing this for some some reason, uh, you've stumbled upon this podcast, I hope that you will take the truth that's revealed here in Scripture and you will see the glory of Christ. Your eyes will be opened uh, to Him, to His Word, to His grace, uh, and that you would repent of your sins and believe in Him uh, and be saved and enjoy Him forever. And to my fellow Christians, I hope that your faith is uh, nourished, uh, restored as we look through the pages of Scripture carefully and truly digging deeply, thinking deeply, and applying this word to our, our hearts. So if you have any feedback, if you want to offer some comments or some questions, perhaps even disagreements, uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Ref Meditations, that's R-E-F Meditations. Uh, you can also email me directly at reformedmeditations at gmail.com. Uh, you can also check out the group on Facebook. And you can also be so, so kind and leave uh, a rate and a review in the, uh, the podcast directory of your choice, which I think is predominantly iTunes. But hey, you know, you do you, wherever you are. Uh, ratings and uh, reviews, those go a long way in helping shows get more visible. And so if you like this content, if you've gotten some benefit from it, and you think there are others out there that might get some good use, uh, some good encouragement, or even some good challenges out of this show, uh, go ahead and do those things. I would be so grateful. And uh, while you're uh, cruising the internet, uh, you should check the show notes and go and uh, click on the link for the Bar Podcast website uh, because there is quite a roster of wonderful, well-produced, gospel-centered podcasts on the Bar Network, of which I'm I'm happy to be part, and I truly think you could benefit from one or more or all of the podcasts that are offered on the network. So do check that out if you get a chance. Uh, I'm very grateful. Thank you all very much for listening, and I will talk to you again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.